1: And now a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
0: And now, having heard our gospel text, we take a moment to pause,
2: to open our hearts to God, to ourselves, and to each other, and to bring authentically how we really think and feel to this moment. We show up, we pay attention, and it's what makes this moment sacred. Would you pray this prayer with me? God of love, open our hearts to the story. Shape us in the way of your love. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it was ten days after 9-11, when Reisudin Buyan was working an extended shift at a gas station on the outskirts of Dallas, when a heavily tattooed man, wearing wraparound sunglasses, approached the counter. He put a gun to Buyan's head and he asked a haunting question. Where are you from? Now, trained as an Air Force fighter pilot in his native Bangladesh, and accustomed to the rhythms of armed robberies from working nights at the Buckner Food Mart, Bouyon got the sense that this man in front of him was not there for the $150 that Bouyon had taken out of the cash register. And so he stepped back and he turned his head. And when he did, he experienced what felt like a million bee stings in the side of his face. The gunman, Mark Stroman, took September the 11th, 2001, personally. He falsely claimed that he had lost a sister in the World Trade Center attack, and he started calling himself an Allied combatant. Somehow, he had imagined a connection between the people working in these food marts in his area and the terrorists. He was out, in his own words, hunting Arabs in the days immediately following 9-11. And Stroman, in those days, shot three South Asian food mart attendants. Buyan was the only one who lived. This week, we remember the terrible attack on 9-11, and it's always a sobering moment in this city. This year's memorial is unlike any before because of the pandemic. Now, I often use this as an opportunity to take fresh stock of our world. And so I ask you to consider this morning, where are we now, 19 years removed from this tragic event? And what can we learn as we remember and as we reflect? Right? How can we be healed of these corporate wounds rather than entrenched in those hostile cycles, seemingly never-ending cycles that led to the event in the first place? Every third year, we add on top of this memorial a week where we have this jarring pairing of a gospel story, right? In a world that's violent and scary and unpredictable, we encounter a story here about another world that's possible. In the face of an event that's iconic of deep personal and cultural pain, we're asked to consider a story about forgiveness. And so we crack it open once again and we ask God's Spirit to awaken in us, to activate in us, both the understanding and the power that's needed to choose between these two worlds. The new world, which Jesus invites us all to participate in, is resisted here by Peter. Jesus has just given us a process for reconciling with our offenders. It's a process that requires the key of forgiveness to work. And Peter immediately is drawn like a magnet to the limits, to the boundaries. And he asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And we hear here in Peter's voice the old world, the world of debt management, where we live with a constant calculation, right? Who do we owe and who owes us? It's a system that gives us a sense of control, we know where we stand. The rules are often very clear and we constantly seek to balance the equilibrium of our relational circles. When we're wronged, however, and when we seek payment or punishment, uh, that's what we do. When we wrong, we feel the guilt and the shame of the indebtedness and we seek to climb out of the hole that we've created. It's a world of temporary winners, though we all eventually taste its loss. It often works until it doesn't, this old world of debt management. And when it ceases to work for us, it's there that we face the bottom uh, of bitterness. And Jesus, of course, tells Peter, this isn't something that you can put limits on, right? The new world doesn't traffic in dualisms like this. The new world acknowledges that there aren't always clear rules to relational problems. You can't put a price or a number on love or for pain in that matter. And so Jesus redirects Peter. He tells him, no, not seven, but 77 times, which isn't a way of extending the limit, but of virtually eliminating the limit. He pushes the number to an absurd height, past any reasonable notion in the thinking of the old world. And Peter, like us, is forced to reckon with the open terrain, with the limitless forgiveness of this new world. Now, as Peter wrestles, Jesus decides to tell a story. And it's a scandalous story from top to bottom. It's a story of a Lord who decides to settle his accounts with his servants. It's a story that offends the sensibilities of both old and new world. Perhaps we're scandalized when we discover the amount that the servant owed in the first place, right? It's an absurd number. It's close to $10 million today. Why would someone lend their servant, especially in this context, such an exorbitant amount of money? Perhaps we're scandalized by the cold business response of the Lord at first as he decides to sell the man and his family to recoup what little he can. Perhaps we're scandalized when the servant pleads for patience and then offers to do the impossible task of paying the amount back. Perhaps we're scandalized when the Lord has pity and then decides to forgive the entire sum and sent the man free of his debt. Perhaps we're scandalized when a man forgiven of so much turns around and then tries to shake down a colleague for a small debt and is harsh and is exacting when the man makes the same plea he did for patience and for promises to pay back. And finally, maybe we're scandalized when in the end, the Lord hears how the servant has treated his colleague and then hands him over to prison until he can repay, virtually a tortured life sentence. Right, the story moves us back and forth like a ping pong ball, offending every sensibility, no matter where you come from. And in the end, Jesus says, this is how God will treat us if we do not forgive from our hearts. Now, like I acknowledged last week, I know how this text, has been used to put a huge burden on people's lives. It's used to coercively fast forward a forgiveness that feels impossible to extend in the moment. This approach to forgiveness can feel rushed and it can feel cheap. But I want us to consider the world that Jesus is inviting us into. If the old world of cold calculations and debt management, if that's what the old world's about, The new world is one where we learn to express mercy and pity, where we begin to extend forgiveness and grace. Now, we often want to take an idea like forgiveness and then force it like a square peg in a round hole back into the old system, right? We turn forgiveness into a transaction. We refuse to acknowledge the ambiguity, the confusion, the time it takes to come to this place. And we think of forgiveness as something that happens once and then we move on. That somehow following Jesus is taking a step from, from the old world to the new world in one hot flash of change. But we miss the truth that the invitation to this new world has to be chosen and it has to be chosen every day. In Jesus' story, both characters are locked into the debt keeping, right? Even the servant in response to the Lord's initial exacting response replies, I'll pay you back. And at that, I say, wow, right? It truly is impossible, but it's the only system he knows. And he's trapped in his imagination. And then his world shatters, right? He's forgiven in a moment of pity. And we're left asking, what will he do with this new world made possible by forgiveness? This is a moment of choice. It will require him to give something up, something that he eventually cannot let go of. And what is that something that he can't let go of? It's the debts that others owe him. Now we often learn how to manage and carve out an existence within this system, if we're lucky or skilled or both, that brings us advantages. It gives us identity, it makes us feel safe and in control. The forgiveness that this man experiences sends him spiraling. What can he cling to now? Right? Where can he leverage, or sorry, where can he leverage or get status or know his place in the world? And so he moves toward his colleague in the only way he's known. And he refuses the new world of forgiveness and grace, where our calculations are absolutely exploded. Now, like Peter, we want to know how often, how much, how quickly, what can we get away with, right? When are we in compliance, and when do we have this obligation off of our backs? But Jesus transcends the question Peter asks about numbers and limits. And he tells this story to show that this isn't about numbers. Whether it's seven times uh, that Peter offers or it's the one-time offer of the Lord, if we easily revert back to the old world, then we're back to square one. And it's a puzzling outcome that we're left with at the end of this parable. It's an outcome that I've often struggled with. No, this forgiveness isn't a one-time transaction. It's a process of enactment, of changing, and of becoming. It's sometimes slow to arrive, and once it's offered, it requires a renewed commitment for us to be able to regularly sustain it and offer it. This mercy was slow to arrive for Raizuddin Bouyan. It was 10 years after being shot in the face while he was on an Islamic pilgrimage that seeds in Bouyan of a strange idea were planted. If he was ever to be whole again, he must re-enter Stroman's life. He longed to confront Stroman, to speak to him face-to-face about the attack that changed both of their lives, and to publicly forgive him. In the name of his religion and its notion of mercy, he saw this seed grow to expression. And after offering his forgiveness, he waged this legal and public relations campaign against the state of Texas and against Governor Rick Perry, to have his attacker spared from the death penalty. And in the end, the attacker, Mark Stroman, on the day of his execution, picked up the phone to call Raisuddin. I love you, bro, he told him. And he put out a public call to stop the cycles of hate. Rysoden would later look after Stroman's children, telling them that they've lost a father, but they've gained an uncle. This story is as scandalous as the story Jesus tells. It offends so many different sensibilities, but it was on his pilgrimage that Rai Sidon says that his eyes were open and he grew mentally and spiritually. He learned how to see Stroman as a human with hurt and with pain. He knew that the violent cycle had to end with him, and so he absorbed the pain with its daily reminders in his blind eye and his multiple shotgun pellets stuck in his skull. You see, forgiveness isn't cheap, and it rarely comes quickly. But without it, we become prisoners of bitterness and resentment, and we're often lured into continuing the cycle of revenge and violence that has countless casualties. Jesus invites us out of the world of debt management, where we expect repayment Or punishment and instead moves us toward pardon this is after all how God relates to us but what about this puzzling ending when the Lord goes back on his forgiveness right and sends the man to prison Jesus says this is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart now at that I want to ask what How can this be? How can the God of love and mercy, who extends the seven to 77, whose son cries out on the cross when he's being literally killed, Father, forgive them. How can that God swing so quickly from mercy to retribution? Well, the short answer is simply that God doesn't. God isn't like the Lord in that respect, offering forgiveness and then withdrawing it once a condition is violated. No. But how is God like the Lord here? See, the key to understanding this is in the last phrase that Jesus tells of the story. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers. See, God's anger isn't retributive. Hell isn't an arbitrary punishment dealt out by God because people wouldn't accept mercy. In the gospels, heaven and hell are current experiences. Heaven is God's new world breaking into ours. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And hell is this torturous cage that we are addicted to, that has a lock on the inside. It's a consequence of our own making and violence. God's anger in the book of Romans is portrayed not as doling out retribution, but as handing over to the hell of one's own making and choosing. To put it in the words of C.S. Lewis, The doors of hell are locked from within. God's mercy stands and it endures. We have no sense of the limits to this mercy. The only limit that's created is the limit created by love itself, which will not force itself upon another. That will only vulnerably move forward. That will absorb the pain of hate and violence. And in the end, it will keep the door open for reconciliation. The question remains for Peter, and the disciples, and us after this story, will we be willing to step into this new world? Will we be willing to keep showing up in it day after day, season after season? Will we be able to learn to forgive from the heart? If we don't or if we can't, we force ourselves to live this hellish existence of bitterness, resentment, and violence. This week, May God's Spirit blow freshly into your heart and to your mind to move you toward forgiveness from the heart, to absorb the pain that has been experienced in relationships, to move toward reconciliation where it's possible. You know, this table that we come to today, it reminds us that we should be always looking for an opening in our relationships to extend mercy. And in a world 19 years after 9-11, may we have the grace to find that opening and find them in abundance once again.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creed's, but we welcome people of any, or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, GoodShepherdNewYork.com. Thank you for listening.